everybody, it's Rick and Chris. Uh, we're about to go for one of our training runs. Uh, we're trying to get ready for a marathon. We picked the hottest summer in the history of Texas to train. We're just a few weeks away now. Uh, we run a couple times during the week and then we try to do a long run on the weekends. This is one of our shorter runs. We're gonna go, how far today? Six. About six miles, which you know, I never thought in my lifetime I would say six miles is a short run, but that's what it is when you do what we're doing. So we're going to talk a little, run a little, and uh, I think what you're going to see is there's a whole lot of uh, similarities between training for a race and discipleship. So come along, join us, and uh, we'll have some fun. Ready? You take off? Ready? Well, good morning, everybody. Last weekend, we started a series called The Race, where I'm comparing discipleship to a popular metaphor in the New Testament, the metaphor of running. And what we said last time is that you need to pick the right race. Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing if only I can finish the task and complete the race that the Lord has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And the great thing about grace is it allows us mid-course corrections. If you've been going down the wrong path, you can change your race and follow Jesus. But to run a good race, you need to train. And that's what I want to visit with you about today. I want to begin with a story about a man named Louis Zimperini. He's written a fabulous book, I'm told, called Unbroken. Now, I haven't read it, but I've heard much about it. And from his life comes his story, because he has lived a rather amazing life. In World War II, his plane was shot down over the Pacific, and only three men survived. They were adrift in a lifeboat for 47 days, fending off sharks, subsisting on raw fish, being shot at by the enemy. Barely alive, they reached land only to be captured by the Japanese, where he was kept for two and a half years as a prisoner of war in a camp that included some torture. Finally, he was rescued. He returned to America, where he got married the following year. In 1998, he returned to Japan, and he met the mayor of the town near the camp where he was kept during the war. And the mayor asked Louis, did anything good come out of your two and a half years as a prisoner of war? And he immediately replied, yes, it prepared me for 53 years of married life. <laughs> now, he understands the value of training. And so I told you last week that Last year, for the first time ever, I ran a marathon. And I was flooded by questions of how long did it take? What was your time? Well, let me answer that in two ways. On one level, I ran my first marathon in a little over four hours. But in another very real sense, I ran my first marathon in a little over four hours months. And if you understand that train of thought, then you're a person who's given some thought to training. 
So our text this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul again uses the metaphor of running a race to teach a spiritual lesson. He says, starting in verse 24, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, one reason Paul uses this metaphor is he knows his audience. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And everybody in Corinth knew of the Isthmian Games. They were held right outside the city. They were second only to the Olympics in importance. And racing and running were a big, big part of the Isthmian Games. And everybody in Corinth knew that to be a contestant in the Isthmian Games, you had to give proof that you had trained for at least 10 months. So Paul calls on that metaphor, that picture that they all understand, and he applies it to discipleship. In fact, have you ever noticed that the word discipline and the word disciple come from the same root? And his point is not that in the Christian race, there's only one winner. His point is that every Christian ought to run the way that a winner runs. After all, we are running to gain a crown, a prize that will last forever. And what is that prize? Well, for Paul, it was at least two things. First, it was the prize of souls. Keep this in context. The verses just preceding are those verses where Paul says, I'll do whatever it takes to win souls. I'll become a Jew to Jews. I'll become a Gentile to Gentiles. I'll become free to those who are free. To those under law, I'll come under law. He says in verse 22 and 3, I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. You see, people were Paul's treasure. They were his crown. Souls were his reward. He would say later to the Thessalonian church, after all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. What mattered to Paul was reaching people for Christ. Now, this is important because the Corinthian church had gotten the goal misplaced. They were spiritually arrogant. They were bragging about their spiritual gifts. They were grasping for their rights. And Paul says, in grasping for your rights, you're losing hold of the prize. 
The well-known 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody was approached one time by a man who said he had spent five years living on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moody said, well, how many souls did you bring to Christ doing that? He said, none. Well, how many souls have you brought to Christ since you did that? He said, none. And Moody replied, well, we don't need that kind of mountaintop experience. When a man gets so high that he can't reach down and save poor sinners, there is something wrong. That's what Paul is trying to say. The Christian race is not a solo sport. You want to run your life in such a way that other people want to join you as you follow Christ. And so we run for the well-being of men, but we also run for the well-done of God. And Paul was not ashamed to say he was running to gain the praise of God. You see, it's important to understand that when Paul talks about the prize, he's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about heaven. His metaphor has to be seen through the lens of his gospel of salvation by grace through faith. Paul doesn't believe that you get to go to heaven because you ran such a good race. We get to go to heaven because Jesus ran the perfect race. But Paul does believe in working out the salvation that God has worked in. Paul does believe that while grace is not nullified by the way you run, grace is verified by the way you run. So Paul had no problem saying things like later in the same book in chapter 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me is not without effect. No, I, now notice the, the, the language of training, the language of effort. I worked harder than all of them. And yet it wasn't I, it was the grace of God that was with me. Later in the same chapter, he will say, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hear me again. Heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift. Your salvation is an inheritance. You don't earn it. Heaven is not a reward. But heaven will be a place of rewards. The scripture is clear. The parables of Jesus, the writings of Paul, God will give to each according. To what he has done. There will be different assignments. And different responsibilities in heaven. Dependent on how you ran your race. And Paul knows this. And in particular Paul is running for the verbal commendation of God. He wants to hear two words when he crosses the finish line. Well done. See Paul knew he was not saved to sit in the stands. He was saved so that he could make much of Christ with the time that he had left on this earth. And so Paul is driven by the question. He said, I don't care if I'm eating, if I'm drinking, or whatever else I'm doing, I'm asking this question. Right now, am I bringing glory to God? And that's what he means by being disqualified. Not that he's going to lose his salvation or get kicked out of heaven. What he means is, If I don't run a good race, I lose my influence. I lose my witness. If I am disqualified, then God is disglorified. 
He receives no glory from my life. And Paul couldn't stand that thought. You see, what Paul is basically doing, he is rebuking flabby discipleship. Let's face it. A lot of Christians have been sent off the track because they were running so poorly and bringing dishonor to their God. Some Christians are practicing what's the very least I can do and still be a disciple, kind of running. They're spiritually unfit. They're saved, but they're living far beneath their God-enabled potential. And what's lacking? A commitment to disciplined training. What serious athlete What serious runner wanting to run in the Olympics is saying to his coach, now, what's the very least I can do and still be a runner? What's the minimum I can do and get by as a runner? Paul says, if you're going to follow Jesus, then get on with it and run to win. Run the best race you can run. And if you want to gain, you're going to have to train. Now that's what I meant when I said, I ran a marathon in a little over four hours. But in a much more real sense, I ran a marathon in a little over four months. And they were four of the hardest, most horrible, most wonderful months of my life. And I learned some good lessons about discipline. Here's the first. If you're going to run a good race, you've got to watch the diet. Now, I was helped so much in my training by a woman named Norma Cousins. Norma is a member at the Southlake Campus. She works at a store called Luke's Locker, which uh, sells merchandise for runners. And she's run about 25 marathons herself and many other races. And she was my coach. And she taught me a lot about the importance of diet. Watch this video clip. You know, one of the things that uh, has been uh, a learning curve for me is how to fuel yourself for a long run. You can't have a huge meal before you're out for a long run. At the same time, uh, you will run out of energy. That happened on one of my earlier runs is about mile seven or eight. I just couldn't go. And it was because I realized I just felt empty. And so I've had to learn a little bit about nutrition. Now, Norma taught me about something called goo. This stuff is terrible. This stuff has the texture of toothpaste. Yes. But one little package of this has about 100 calories, and there's something wonderful inside this little package because all of a sudden, for a few more miles, you feel like you have refueled. So I will take at least one of these with me when I start the race, and I'll put a couple in my pocket, and I'll just keep uh, the goo inside uh have you found that experience? Do you goo when yes, you run? I do. And um, I do it every hour if I'm doing a marathon, just about. Every hour? Yes. And it will be on the course, most uh-huh. courses. 
but I try to do it every hour, just yeah. or 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how I feel. Now, the race I'm going to run uh, in Richmond has goo stops, right. but also the last about eight miles, they have junk food, yes, even pizza. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care how tired I am. If I just have to go one more mile to get pizza, <laughs> I could make it. But I have learned the value of goo. I have learned that sometimes, even if it doesn't taste good, you've got to put it in your system if you're yes. going to finish the race. And you have to drink water with it. Yes. Because it just doesn't go down quite like what you would experience. Yeah. It's like, kind of like, like you said, it's toothpaste kind of. Yeah. One of the most important things I had to learn was how to fuel my body. As I mentioned, uh, you, you can't eat a big meal and go for a big run. At the same time, early in my training, I had a couple of times from about mile six to eight where I just couldn't go. And it wasn't because I was so physically exhausted. It was because I was so empty. I had no fuel left. So I had to learn something about the power of fuel. Now, many things are not wrong to eat if you're in training, but they're not smart to eat either. Olympian about to run a marathon. Is it illegal for him to have chicken fried steak and a big pile of fries and a malt before his race? It's not illegal, but it's stupid. (laughs) He's not going to run a good race. Now, here's why that's important. I get asked by a lot of you the wrong question. You see, if your goal is spiritual fitness, the wrong question to ask is, well, is it a sin to do that? I get asked it all the time. Is it a sin to watch that movie? Is it a sin to have that drink? Is it a sin to wear that dress? Is it a sin to go there? Wrong question. The better question is, is it useful for my witness to Christ and for glory to God for me to do that? That's a better question. Not is it wrong, but is it smart? Is that what you're doing if you're trying to run your very best race? Some of your cravings aren't sinful, but they're not useful in helping you run to your full potential. You can't run the Christian race if you don't stay renewed with the kind of fuel that a Christian needs. That's why Paul would say in Colossians 3, let the message of Christ in all of its richness fill your lives and here's what will happen if you will fill yourself with the things of God you'll find that your craving for the junk food of the world begins to wane a lot of you know I'm a pizza addict I could eat pizza three times a day but when I ran that race and they tried to offer me pizza I said no there was nothing about pizza that sounded good to me in the middle of that race Now, here's where I'm going to be as blunt as I can be. Every one of you will tell me your stated goal for your life is to be a good Christian. To bring glory to God and to help other people come to Christ. And yet some of you have a diet that is totally inconsistent with what you say is the stated goal of your life. And you need to do business with that. You need to start lining up your diet with what you say you want the goal of your life to be. Or you will get off track. You have to learn to watch your diet when you run the Christian race. Second, you have to learn to discipline the mind. In fact, I would say this was the hardest part 
of the battle. Watch this clip. You know, one of the things I've learned in running is you've got to control your mind. The mental battle is often harder than the physical. When you're doing a long run, at some point, you've got to fight negative thoughts. I can't make it, I'm too tired. My foot hurts, my neck hurts, it's too hot. And uh, you've got to develop the discipline to fight through the negative thoughts. And uh, it's one of those things, when you finish, you're always glad you did. And if you quit, you're filled for days with regret. But uh, that was one of the biggest surprises for me when we started training. I wasn't sure if I could do it physically, but I found out quickly the physical battle was not as hard as the mental battle. You have to do what Paul says and take those bad thoughts captive or they will take you. So what's your mantra? What's well, your positive thought? What's yours? Mine is I can do it. I'm trained and I can do it. My positive thought is if I finish, I get a muffin. <laughs> now, a low fat muffin. Remember point one. But you know, I really did wonder when I began if I had the physical capacity to train to run a marathon. What I learned quickly was that was not the hardest battle. The hardest battle was the battle of the mind. Every time you go for a long run, the mind starts to give you ideas about quitting. It's too hot. This hurts. That hurts. We're going right by the car. You need some Gatorade. And they are constant. And you have to learn to discipline the mind. Now, the same thing is true in the Christian race. Because the enemy travels at the speed of thought. And he's always attempting to disparage the character of God. Go all the way back to the garden. What was the big lie? The character of God. Did God really say? Why doesn't God want you? God just doesn't want. God's against you. He's attacking the character of God. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 that we demolish arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If you are trying to follow Christ in your life, there are going to be many times where the thought is going to be planted in your mind that it's not worth it or you ought to take a detour and get off course at least for a little while. You notice how Jesus, when Satan would try to plant those thought bombs in his mind, would immediately uproot them with the word of God. Because Jesus understood you can train your thoughts. Two weeks ago in the Star-Telegram, I read with interest about Patrick Finney, a citizen of our community that was diagnosed in 1998 with multiple sclerosis. Ten times in the next seven years, he had to retrain his body just to be able to walk. And in 2006, he got the idea that he would like to try to run. He joined a runner's club. 
even though all he could do was shuffle his feet so badly that he would wear out a new pair of shoes in just a matter of weeks. Then he had a big fall. And he can't explain it, and doctors can't explain it, but something happened, and he suddenly been able to run. In fact, he just last uh, year finished his 50th marathon in 50 different states. And the only thing they can explain is that somehow the neurological pathway of his mind was rerouted, and his mind began to send different signals to his body. Now... I don't tell you that story in any way to suggest if you or a friend has a debilitating illness and you want it bad enough that you can get over it. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the mind is the key and it's got to be retrained. It's got to be rewired to keep you thinking the kind of thoughts you've got to think to stay on course. And so the Bible says, 1 Peter 1, 13, prepare your mind for action. Paul would say in Romans 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The Bible calls this renewing your mind. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, your mind can be rewired so that the kind of thinking that it takes to run a good race dominates you. Because you will not Run better than you think. And a winning runner's train of thought is, I must train my thoughts. Especially when the race gets hard and you start to hurt. Because if you're going to run a good race, you have to endure the pain. Watch one more clip, please. Norma, um, one thing that I've learned in training is you can't make a long run and something doesn't start to hurt. That's right. Sometimes it's my left hip joint or sometimes it's that pad right behind the toes on my right foot. And I've had to learn the difference between the injury and just the pain Mm -hmm. of running and learn to fight through it. What are some of the most common kinds of pains that come with running? I think it's the plantar's fasciitis Mm -hmm. that people have in their feet because we see a lot of that in the store. And that has caused a lot of it from overtraining because your system's not used to it. So you go out and you try to do more than what you maybe should and you're not listening to your body about how the pain is. Um, There's some pain that you can run through and you don't, it doesn't hurt that bad. You just go home and you like stretch it out or put ice on it, but planners is going to stay with you for a while, yeah. and it's not going to be something that you're going to get over overnight. See, that happened to me is uh, I began to have a lot of pain in my right heel, and there's planners. And the interesting thing to me is that I would do the run and feel fine, and then that night or the next morning I would wake up with a sharp pain in my heel. And so I've had to learn how to manage the pain because she's right it's not going to go away the only way it's going to stop is if i just stop training Uh, one of the things that you gave me that helped are these little lifts that i wear in my shoes most of the time now and between doing the lifts uh, making sure i stretch well uh, using the ice i have been able to to manage the pain in such a way that i feel like i'm ready to go and try to do my marathon now but but i have learned um when you train Learning how to to 
deal with pain is a part of the process. Yes. You cannot run a race this long and not expect something to hurt. You're right. It's going to happen, and uh, there's no way to avoid it, you know. Every time I went on a long run, something would start to hurt. I'm not talking about being foolish and having a serious injury and pretending I wasn't injured. I'm talking about just the pain that comes with training. Some runners lose their toenails or they get shin splints or they have knee problems. In my case, my most constant pain was in my right heel as I battled plantar fasciitis. I don't want in any way to leave you the impression that if you want to run a really good race, it's going to be easy. In fact, I actually have a picture of me on about mile 24 of my marathon. Don't I look like I'm having a good time? (laughs) Now, I didn't look like that the whole way, but I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't hard because it was. Listen, if the race was easy, there wouldn't be a prize for running it. See, I knew managing the pain was going to be part of the price to pay for reaching the goal. And the same thing is true when you follow Christ. It's a hard race. And sometimes you get hurt. One thing you've got to understand is that everybody following Christ has been hurt. Now, the enemy will try to plant in your mind a thought bomb that says, God's got it out for you. No one's been through what you're going through. No one's hurt like you've hurt. No one's been betrayed like you've been betrayed. No one's been discouraged like you're discouraged. Here's the reality. Every single person in the race is running hurt. Think about Paul, the man who wrote these words. He knew how to run hurt. How many times was he in jail? He was beaten for his faith with rods, with lashes, and with stones. Unfairly criticized by people that should have been his best friends. Under constant death threats. Even shipwrecked. But Paul understood no pain. No gain. So pain in life can't be avoided, but it can be managed. And I've learned, at least in my life, running my race after Christ, some things help me manage the pain in my life. One for me is regular worship. There's something about getting with people like you or even alone in my car and praising God that helps numb the pain. Another thing is running in community, not trying to do this thing by myself, but getting around other brothers and sisters, running with them helps manage the pain. But maybe the thing that helps the most is keeping my eye on the prize. I think Paul had that in mind when in Romans 8 he said, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. And especially I'm motivated by 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. At that time. What time? When you cross the finish line. At that time. Each will receive his praise from God. 
And I know in heaven we're going to praise God. But do you understand in heaven God will praise you if you ran well? Paul did. And so he says, I train, I discipline myself. I run to win because I want to hear, well done, good race. That's why one of my favorite sporting illustrations comes from the 1998 Winter Games in Nagano, Japan. The man in the red ski suit is Bjorn Dali, greatest cross-country skier ever. He had just won his sixth gold medal in the 10,000-kilometer race. They had the award ceremony. Everyone applauded. Almost everyone left, but not Dolly. He went back to the finish line to wait for the second man there, Philip Boyd from Kenya, a man new to the sport who had only seen snow for the first time in his life two years earlier, who represented his country and who skied the best race he could. And even though he finished 30 minutes after the others, when he crossed the line, there was the champion to say, good job. I want to run the best race I can run. I may not run a race as well as some of you have run. But I want to run my best race. I want to know that I gave it my best effort, that I trained, that I was disciplined. If you're going to follow Jesus, why dabble in the shallow end? Jump in the deep end and get all in and run to win. Because we're running for him. So bow your heads with me, please. And so, God, would you speak right now through the Holy Spirit whatever word every person who's just heard this message, needs to hear. For some, it might be a word of rebuke because they're getting a little flabby in their discipleship. For others, it might be a word of encouragement to keep going. For some, it might be a word of mercy because you understand how hard their race is. For others, it might be a word of commendation. But but God, I don't know what the word is. I know that Every person hearing this message right now needs a word about their particular race. I pray right now they would hear it. Help us, God, run to win. And I'm blown away by the thought that you would give us a crown. But I remember the saints in Revelation 4, God, we're going to take those crowns off. We're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Because we are running for him. Help us run well. In Jesus' name, amen. Be standing, please. If you'd like to join the race, you do that by confessing Christ. And by being baptized. And there might be someone with us right now ready to make that powerful step of faith.
come and let a minister know. We will baptize you even this hour while we encourage you by singing this song.